the storm nears. All that work, all these years, this is the night and we are ready. My creation nears its birth. One more quick check for the moment is now. Lump, are the subjects in place? Yes, master. And the valves in the microphones are warmed up? Oh, yes, master. What about the booze? There'll be plenty, Master. More than we need. Oh, I shouldn't bank on that. Add some more, just to be sure. The baby sham, as well as the netto gin. Now, what about the bad language, the swearing? With this much alcohol, there'll be no shortage of that, Master. Good, good. That should put Pete to remembering performer names and transmission dates correctly, too. <laughs> This is it, Lump. My new podcast is upon the world. Yes, yes. Now all we need is the 9.9 .9 pegawatts of power from a direct lightning strike, and it'll be transmitted to every wireless in the land. Soon they'll see. Oh, yes, they'll see. They'll come crawling on their knees, begging to know how I did it. <laughs> The swearing. The swearing. Well, I know there's gonna be, there's gonna be, be too, too much of that for some of you. When there's drinking, when I'm drinking, well, I know it's gonna be, it's gonna be, be like two let go in the front blue. What the bloody hell's that racket, love? We can't be carol singers, surely. No, master. It's, it's the disclaimers. Get out. Tonight on Peggy's Spooky Podcast. Stage school twats with sweatshirts tucked into their jeans doing a location sheet song and dance number outside British home stores when not even Rod Hull is present to give the public the first fucking clue about what's going on. Jesus wept. I get the feeling that PJ Hammond thinks that if something seems complicated, it'll seem clever. And that if something seems clever, it'll be clever. No. no well, not when they've got people like us we were ready to sit and pick it apart, no. I am quite impressed with how much of an arsehole Steele is. Isn't he, though? Isn't he a dick? Uh, he's got a magnificent bounce to his hair when he's vexed. He has? What an arrogant <laughs> bastard. He loves it, doesn't he? All right. Hello and welcome to the second Peggy Mount Calamity Hour Halloween special. I'm Dr. Velvet. I am Blackout. And we're here once again to talk about some spooky telly. Yes, hello again. Thanks for joining us for our spine-tingling cultural critique of vintage television, where Britain's best-loved battle axe is never far from our minds, because here, all scarred, abandoned roads lead to the desolate, imposing mountain. If you crawl over to PeggyMountPod.com, info links for the episodes we're discussing is in the show notes there. You can find us on the socials, get in touch to say hello and suggest programmes you'd like us to cover. And before we chalk the final symbol onto the flagstone and await the dark arrival, Dr Velvet, I've got to ask, where's Lump with the drinks mind? That's a very good point. Let me just ring... And see where he is. Ah, there we are. Enter. Oh, I've got such a busy day. 
Oh, we've got a we've got a nice tray. There's no trolley. Where's the trolley? I ate it, Master. Anyway, let's see what we've got here. Right, what can you see there that tempts you, Blackout? Well, I think I'm going to have. Uh, oh, I'm going to have a pull on the bishop's finger. Nice choice. Well, I'm going way across the sea, and I'm going to pick this little beauty. Yep, I'm on the Guinness. <laughs> Magnificent work. It's been a while. It's been a while. That's marvellous. All right, thank you, Lump. Off we go Cheers, Lump. on our Bye. merry way. Thank you, masters. Bless Lump. Off he goes. Right, from one complete physical shambles to another. And now, from Emu's world, somewhere in the heart of England, comes... Emu's All Right in Window Show! Yes, Emu's All Life Pink Windmill Show was a vehicle for Roderick Hulbert and his famous avian antipodean sidekick running on ITV from 1984 to 85. Set inside the titular windmill, our host presents the show as a mixture of sketches, activities and games, with members of the audience taking part in studio quizzes as well as phone-in features. Carol Lee Scott also stars as the curmudgeonly witch Grotbags, the reason we're covering this in our Halloween shows, with Freddie Stevens as Robot Redford and David Tate as Croc, all accompanied by the Pink Windmill Kids. So let's dive in. I absolutely loved this as a kid. There's a guilty pleasure. Okay. Well, Disp- all right. As, <laughs> I, 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 say, I say I loved it as a kid. There were certain aspects of it that I absolutely adored. And it, it was um, Marmite, this, because there were other parts of it that I absolutely loathed to the very depth of my soul. Well, even at the time? Yeah. Yeah. There were parts, there were certain parts of it. Okay. And and, and one, one major part of it was the Pink Windmill Kids. Oh, right. Yeah, good. Because I've got two paragraphs on them here as well. <laughs> uh-huh. A set of nauseating stage school... Are you oh. reading my notes? <laughs> right. <laughs> I've got, I can't see them from this side of the desk, but we do have the same mind. I've got stage school twats with sweatshirts tucked into their jeans doing a location shoot song and dance number outside British home stores where not even Rod Hull is present to give the public the first fucking clue about what's going on. Jesus <laughs> wept. Uh-huh. Yeah. Awful. Absolutely awful. They bring a whole shopping centre to a standstill <laughs> the, just, just so that they can squawk on and dance badly. Nah. Seriously, seriously, Lee. Dear listener, go into the um, go to peggymountpod.com, have a look in the show notes, watch this, watch as much of this as you can. They have to be seen to be believed, really. Do you know what though? Do you know what though? They 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 became a meme about two years ago. Yeah, they did a um, it was around about uh, twenty seventeen. They did a reunion for I think it was either Comic Relief or Children Need, one of those, and they sort of got a few of them back together. Uh huh. I should also point out though, of all of the kids that you see on stage in this episode. Of all of them put together, right? Debbie Harper went on to be in an episode of The Bill in 1989, and Jill Greco went on to feature in an episode of Poirot in 1992. No one else, listed on the IMDb in any rate, went on to do anything of any note, and I could not be more delighted about this, because it right. means they humiliated themselves for the money they got on the day, and no other benefit at all. The shame for them of watching these recordings back over the years, knowing that this was the pinnacle of their showbiz careers, is precisely what the Pink Windmill kids deserve. Yeah, well, yeah, can't argue. Joe, really, he, he stood out for, for whatever reason to me. He's, I think he's the, like one of the older of the kids. Right. Um, the one who thinks but, he's better uh, than them. 
possibly. I just, I we're was gonna their get age. We're going to get letters from Joe. I know that. <laughs> I was, I was their age when I was watching it, and I was like, oh my god, what are you doing? I mean, I know they're already doing what they were told to do, but oh no, it was awful. Who's directing them? Just it is, horrific. It is shades of the um, the why don't you presenting yeah, team where you know that you are the same age as these kids, and you know in deep in your soul that you're a completely different demographic and you're wondering how this has happened, how these people are on the television, what's led them to this point. Uh-huh. They've been put that's on it. there because someone thinks they're going to resonate with you and that's not happening. Completely spot on. Completely spot on. Um, I mean, there's a lot about this show that is cringe, 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 and I felt that cringe. Despite anything that I might go on to say about this... Mm. Rod Hull's puppetry, while keeping a straight face, is fucking outstanding. Props to the oh, man for yeah. that. Although, to be fair, I could pay him that compliment in anything he's done with Emu. Yeah, this, true enough. on the other hand. <laughs> even though even though he did reputedly uh, nick the act from someone in Australia, but there we are. Uh, okay. But, uh, yeah, um, it's it's cringe time all the way through. It's, it's... So it's called All Live Pink Windmill Show. And it's absolutely live, this show. Was it broadcast live, or was it just sort of pre-recorded but still shot on a single take? Because it certainly feels live, not in a good way. No, it it is live. Um, my understanding is that it was completely live. Right. Uh, okay. It, they wanted to be a bit more adventurous, kind of thing. Yeah. 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 You know what? You you can absolutely tell that it's it's the simplified oh, uh, cuts, and um, mm-hmm. it is it is. Apart from obviously certain OB pre-rect shots. Um, the majority is is live. There's too many moments that are awkward. They're not well stage managed. Yes, it's it's falling apart. <laughs> yeah, I've, um, yeah. Again, I've got here. It feels like there's an absolute lack of stage management. Um, yeah. They've got a decent itemized structure for the program. I like that. And mm-hmm. Hull is just struggling to hold the whole thing together. It's like he yeah. needs a human co-presenter or some short VT links to keep cutting to, because otherwise it's just him talking to the camera in this eerily quiet studio that has absolutely no ambience it's really weird <laughs> there's, there's no atmosphere it's like the ki- the kids have been brought in and they haven't a clue what's going on yeah and they've been told to sit down be quiet but at the same time enjoy yourself yeah um we have a bit of a pointless filler with the audience when the show first starts a uh, bit of banter so that rod can be his usual chaotic self with the bird um and then we move on to and i used to dread this because so much went wrong. They've made a joke about the fact uh, in right. this in this particular episode, the spin quiz, EBU spin quiz, uh-huh. um, where just a live phone quiz where, and you'll get this kid on the on the other end of the phone that they're calling up at random, who's four years old, has used a phone once in its life before. This is why I was wondering how live this was. Obviously, there's still going to be a level of sort of pre-production on it, but you sort of get the impression because obviously a kid of that age. The ones they're phoning up here, they don't answer the phone in the house. So clearly someone from the production team's phoned up beforehand and gone, now, Rod Hull's going to phone up in 10 minutes. Yeah. The answer is jam. Say that. Yeah. And then yes. just put the phone down. <laughs> uh-huh. But yeah. yeah, I didn't know if they'd like sort of pre-shot that and then just sent it out going, oh, yeah, yeah, it's live because you can't, there's, there's no clocks in the studio is what I'm saying. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. That could that could have been the case. Um, I was told it was absolutely live but who knows that could be that could be that for the be prime televisual real estate of a children's show when there were only two channels in the uk broadcasting them there is a 
you're right, there is a terrifying amount of padding in here. Oh, God, now, there's I, so much. I could understand it. Apparently, it started in a shorter format. I could understand sort of 25 minutes of this. This is 50 minutes. Did I it is. really have nothing else to fill the schedules with? It's 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 massive. This uh, it's like it's actually you know what that was a sorry that was a rhetorical question. I have looked up the listings for the day. <laughs> Good. At half past three on ITV on Friday the twelfth of April nineteen eighty five, we had sons mm-hmm. and daughters. Now that's yes. not for the kids. The kids aren't out at school. They're not home from school yet. That's for the parents for the kids getting or whatever whoever's watching sons and daughters. Here's 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 how good my memory is. I bet four o'clock it's a rainbow. Yep. Yeah, yep. absolutely is. Four o'clock, uh-huh. rainbow. I remember. Twenty past four, Batfink. Vile, hated it. Twenty-five past four, Emu. This then runs on till quarter past five when they put blockbusters on. Mind you, I did look up Children's BBC for that afternoon as well. Uh, and in amongst some stuff that they had made, BBC One were running The Littlest Hobo and The Red Hand Gang. That's on the same day, so you know, at least I see Seriously? Yeah, at least ITV would do more than just sticking a video on. They're not fucking trying. Yeah, that's <laughs> they right. are not fucking trying. They're not trying when it comes down to the prizes for Emu's spin quiz. What the hell kind of shambles is that? <laughs> a football? A football? Yeah, but you know why that is? There's a, there's an item in there where Rod Hull goes to visit a school in Australia. Otherwise known as Rod fucks the production budget once again. Well, no yeah. wonder the rest of the show looks like it's made out of painted cardboard. <laughs> Actually, I'll I'll talk about that set. I made that set out of a shoebox. <laughs> I was fascinated by it. I was fascinated by the artwork. In the simplicity of it, it felt like they were living in a cartoon. I'd always wanted to, but I made the cameras <laughs> and everything. Oh dear. Anyway, yeah. So these prizes, absolute rubbish. And Rod, Rod gushes over a football. Uh-huh. Oh wow! You've won a football. Yep. No. There are people sat with home computers, mind. Did you prefer the um, the grot bags quiz, where she basically makes them walk over to the wall, pick up a little um, cauldron from a from a nook in the wall? She knows what it is. The home audience knows what it is, and then is encouraging them to sort of gamble with a prize that they, you know it could be a good prize, it could be a piece of shit. Well, it's it's Des O'Connor's take your pick, isn't it? And it's yes, it's, it's it absolutely is that. Yeah, it's superbly done. And I love this is a bit that I absolutely love because Carol Lee Scott is just being as naughty as she possibly can be. Yeah, um, she's she's been brutal with these kids or brats as she refers to them. I've um, forgotten how sort of cockney she is in her delivery. Yeah, she's sort of basically belting out every line like she's running the Queen Vic. That's right, she is. Yeah, uh, and she's just she's ad libbing all the way. She's 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 oh. born to play the part. Yeah, yeah, no, no, by the time we get to that bit, her and the fella in the robot costume, they're just mumbling, ad-libbing, talking over each other. It's a fucking shambles. It is. Um, I'd love to know, I haven't looked this up, and I meant to, actually, but the guy who plays Robot Redford, yeah. Um, initially when the, the show first started, because we're in series two here, he actually played Croc in the first series. Uh, and okay. And I think halfway through the first series, we're introduced to Robot Redford. Right. And, and then Croc is recast, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. Uh, and I haven't looked up as to why that happened. I don't know. That was Freddie but, Stevens, and I think that was just him wanting his face on telly. Possibly. Very possibly. Um, the campus robot in the history of sci-fi. But, well, I think the joke is meant to be that he's like a shit version of C-3PO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not really a joke when you watch it and you think, I know that. But he's still a shit version of C-3PO. Yes, yes, that's right. Actually, 
I, I did something I did notice. Now you mentioned that. Um, there's a reference to Doctor Who in this. Well done, ITV. Product <laughs> yeah. product placement for a yep. for a show that's on another channel. Champion, mind you, they were giving away a bit of merchandise from something that was on their side of the fence, though. Were they a fucking red Mister T messenger bag? Oh, that's right. Mr. Fantastic. One of the uh, one of the the highlights as well when we go, when we get to grub bags little quiz is um, her just taking the piss out of Rod Hull, calling him streaky bonehead, and then yeah, I'd forgotten what, about what, that. She does overuse that a bit. Why did she call him that? He's not bald. Streaky bonehead. I don't know. Yeah. King Boggle, Boggle's kingdom. Fuck me. We're yeah. talking about filler. This is this is it was awful. I, I even at that age, I used to go off and do something else while that was on. I hated it. It was mind-numbingly boring. Now, was the idea with this that these characters are basically immortal, or what? I don't know. I know what you're Hull introduces saying, yeah. it by saying it's over here. It's on a map, Aye. and there's like and it's got like a magic force field around it, and no one can get in, and they can't get out. And he says, and they've lived exactly as to like how they have, how how they were living in Tudor times. I'm thinking, but Tudor was the name of the king. It was Henry Tudor, so it wasn't. It wouldn't be Tudor times, would it? It'd be Boggle times because it's yes. King Boggle. What are, yes. what are you talking about, Rod? <laughs> Yeah. I'll tell you what you're talking about, Rod. You're grasping onto a script that gives you a bit of a chance to do some acting without the damn bird, because that's what uh, it was about. He's well, trying to yeah. showcase. Yeah. Um, which I get. I absolutely get. It would have been um, better if, even when he was playing King Boggle, he still just had a false arm, which he couldn't move. Or just, like, con- just constantly carrying around a bag of grain or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we get to the end. And then someone's decided, yeah, close on another musical number. That's what we need to finish. You shouty little shits. Rod gets to join in in the middle of this one as well, which makes the whole thing precisely no better. Because <laughs> it's Emu's choice. That is a song and dance number from Series 1, because that's the coat he used to wear in Series 1. I'm sure by this point in the programme, Emu's choice would have been a fucking oven on Gas Mark 7 for two Absolutely. hours. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, the electro jazz version of the Rocky theme tune that they played out to while they just danced randomly around the, the studio. Yeah, I, I don't know. I do not fucking know. <laughs> I imagine it was royalty free. That was it. Oh, yeah. But I will say this. I, I'd like a copy of it. So come on then, pegs on the line. Where are we at? Two, two, two. Bloody bloody Be- hell, that is harsh. It's fucking awful. And it, the two is for grot bags, man. Okay. Now my 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 childhood love for this. On looking back at it, I just think this is fair play to them for 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 daring to go into the live. But oh wow, bloody hell. Well, it's three out of nine for me, which is. Clearly generous. Um, this is Noel's house party for kids. Make of that what you will. Okay, so how many steps would it take to go up the mountain past Grotpag's castle for you, Blackout? I can do it in three. <laughs> the Penguin Mill Show features Carol Lee Scott, who started 1971's Opportunity Knox Variety Club presentation show, along with Roger Moore, who was in the 1990 film Bullseye with... Michael Ken, who had previously rocked up in Sailor Beware with Peggy Mount. But I can't say I don't like that. I bought it myself. Very good indeed. And do you know what? I didn't even know they made a movie version of Bullseye. Well, yeah, you know. Anyway, all right, good, good. You did it in three. I do it in two. (laughs) 
This show is presented by Rod Hull, who appeared in a 1990 episode of Motormouth, as did Lionel Blair, who was in the assembled throng for the Chili Bouchier episode of This Is Your Life, along with Peggy Marl. Very suitable. Good luck on your opening night. Excellent stuff. There we go. Up the mountain already. Overlooking the pink windmill world. Marvellous. Um, all manner of merchandise came from Emu. I remember that. I remember that. But all kinds of merchandise can be bought elsewhere. Should we see what's out there so that we can buy the Halloween things? Let's have a look at some spooky things. Who's brave enough to play Ghost Castle? The victim's journey, room by room. They take their chances. Along the way, anything can happen. And usually does. To win, you must reach the coffin and lay the ghost. Will anybody survive Ghost Castle from NB Games? Yeah, the trouble with these midnight snacks is you get crumbs all over the bed. Fresh cream cakes. Naughty. That ever so nice. Mmm. And there we are. Lots of lovely spooky Halloween things. Buy the things. Absolutely buy the things. And you know what? I can hear the oncoming cacophony of brass instruments. It sounds, Blackout, like you and I have been assigned. The Sapphire and the Steel was a half-hour sci-fi serial created in 1979 by ATV, broadcast in a a 7pm weekday slot. It stars Joanna Lumley and David McCallum as the eponymous heroes Barbara Sapphire and Bill Steele, supernatural agents assigned to investigate temporal disturbances across dimensions. Tonight we've begun the first arc, Assignment 1, written by PJ Hammond, directed by Sean O'Riordan. When young Robin Helen's parents suddenly disappear one evening in the middle of reading nursery rhymes, Rob's call for help results in the swift appearance of the most unlikely assistants. Sapphire and Steele have been assigned. Do you remember this from back in the day? I do. I remember this being on. Um, I remember it freaking me out a little bit, this particular story arc. Um, but it was clearly too old for six-year-old me to understand enough to be properly scared of, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I was more sort of curious as to why it was unsettling, but not experienced enough that I could like be properly, yeah. So, yeah, I, I remember it, but... Yeah, six-year-old me wasn't it? I was, you know, I was still, I was banging to Star Wars. Um, six-year-old me wasn't going to get this. No, that's right. Um, there was a lot of fuss made about it. There was, there was a little bit of merch, but the looking were forever banging on about it. Oh, um, yeah, okay. And looking were, yeah, they had their own. You know how some series would feature their own comic strip. So it was being very much marketed, not marketed towards kids. It was on at seven o'clock, but they were aware that it was going to be in. You know, there was going to be a young audience for it. Absolutely, and I think that was due to the sci-fi element of it. Um, Yeah. I mean, in particular, the very... The title sequence is split into sort of two halves. You get the one at the very top, then a longer one, 
the, the one with the graphics, but the one at the very start where you just get the names whizzing by. It's mm-hmm. very much a, just do a shit version of Star Wars. That's all that's left in the budget. So one thing, you know me, I like my theme tunes and all the rest yeah. of it. Um, yeah. This is a very dramatic theme tune and it makes you sit up and listen. Um, oh, it certainly pro- does. The problem is it's kind of, um, it does sound like a brass band sort of tuning up. But <laughs> for years, I thought Dudley Simpson, erstwhile famous of Doctor Who and Blake Seven and mm-hmm. composer extraordinaire, had done the yeah. theme tune to this because it sounds so like a Dudley composition. But um, did it no, turn it's... out to be? Um, did it turn out to be Dudley Sampson? who got the it job was. at the last minute, and ITV was... couldn't believe how cheap it was. Absolutely, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, couldn't believe it at all. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, yeah, brilliant theme tune. Brilliant theme tune. So this business with the um, with the voiceover with it, okay, which sort of sets up, I'm guessing the code names for the agents they sort uh-huh. of send out. Medium atomic weights are available. Gold, lead, copper, jet, diamond, radium, sapphire, silver, and steel. So are these meant to be like sort of conscious projections of galactic elements? Because steel isn't an element. It's not even a mineral. It's a man-made alloy of iron. Who the fuck came up with this? <laughs> Is this meant to be... I get the feeling that PJ Hammond thinks that if something seems complicated, it'll seem clever. And that if something seems clever, it'll be clever. No. no well, not when they've got people like us who are ready to sit and pick it apart. No. <laughs> but he doesn't care because it's 40 years on and he couldn't give a nick. Um... In this first episode, two people yeah. disappear during a nursery rhyme. This takes 25 minutes to establish. Yes, it does. It really does. With some nice clocks. There are some nice clocks. Right. Am I meant to be getting this level of anxiety from all of those clocks ticking at different speeds, yeah? Uh, well... I it, couldn't it, fucking breathe properly for the first five minutes of this episode. I know, right? Well, I've got... Um, I'm afflicted with misophonia, and it was driving me up the wall... Up the wall, mind. Uh, It's it it lends the correct sinister tone because you've got the silence, lot of silence going on here. Yeah. Then the wind. Then clocks ticking. Then we get well. What we've got is a, a essentially a big empty house. And then we hear ring a ring of roses, creepily. Ring a ring of roses is fine, you know, if you're in a room with people and people are singing it. If you're in a big old creepy house and you hear it being sang from a room upstairs and you can't, you, but there you are can't... ways. There mm. are <laughs> there are ways of making it sound creepy when it's being heard from another room. Well, yeah, because it's that's been done in approximately a thousand horror films over the years. Um, it has. It really has. I mean, they, yeah. they don't they don't do it that this way. In this, this literally <laughs> just sounds like someone hollering in another room, and you're like, yeah. Is that kid really getting ready to go to bed? With you belting on at that volume? And the I, camera goes in there, and she's fucking... The kid's jumping up and down on the bed, getting excited, and it's like, calm the fucking kid down, man. Uh, that struck my mind, because I know for a fact that my parents would have been, you're getting excited, uh-huh. you'll not sleep. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bad parenting <laughs> right there. But there we are. Who are we to judge? Um, the boy is incredibly calm throughout all of this, and that could possibly be because of his cardigan, because I had one of them with the with the rings in... On the chest. Uh huh. I had one of them back that's, in. Uh, that's Stephen O'Shea, that... who plays young Rob, and oh, he is Rob, calm, Rob. and I think that's because he's a child, 
and although he can read the words in the script, he can't understand a fuck that's going on. Well, yeah, yeah, can't understand a thing. And the girl, she may as well not been there because I, I would, have, I would have scratched her lines straight away. Uh-huh. I couldn't hear a uh-huh. word she said, not a word. The child. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it's just mumbled dialogue, which makes less sense on set than it did on the page. Yep. Again, everything recorded in a single condenser mic. This is like The Prisoner in levels of self-indulgent what-the-fuckery, but with the production values of Crossroads. I imagine that Joanna Lumley's eyes going blue used up all of the money. <laughs> well, that and her costume changes. Yeah, for again, for no reason. At all. Uh, except, well, it's clearly there to show that they are of, uh, not of this world and they can just do things. There's other ways to do that, though. She could have made she could have made an egg boil in the pan of its own accord. They could have made literally anything else happen other than, and now she's got a different dress and a wig. <laughs> because that that'd be mad. That's magic, isn't it? When someone's hair changes, and you just think, have you, what have you got a wig in your bag? Uh, <laughs> no, I'm from space. Oh. <laughs> Good I am, God. I am quite impressed with how much of an arsehole Steele is. Isn't he though? Isn't he a dick? Uh-huh. He's got a magnificent bounce to his hair when he's vexed. He has. What an arrogant <laughs> bastard. He loves it, doesn't he? Absolutely love it. Yeah, bless him. He's effectively got the purdy coat, isn't he? That's that's yeah, he how has. that works. Oh yeah, he has. So how many um how far into this arc did you get? Um what well, I just for I just watched episode one here. Yeah. Okay. I've watched assignment one before. I've watched it all the way through before. Okay. But for the right. for the benefits of our wonderful little show. Um, I only watched episode one. Because um, what I particularly liked was how the second episode starts with a recap of the first. Oh, yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. As, you know, as if anything in that episode made sense to begin with, mm-hmm. and as if that's going to clarify anything that's going to happen in the 25 minutes to come. Absolutely not. You know, in speaking to people over the years about Sapphire and Steel, nobody has a Danny LaRue about what's going on here. Yeah. Nobody. The corridor analogy and explanation... Um, we're on the way. Kind of. Um, kind, kind of. of. <laughs> but uh, we still don't know why. Actually, um, this this Rob child allowed Sapphire and Steel into the house for the first thing, because surely the parents have taught him do not open the door to the stranger's mind. I think. Uh, again, you can sort of if, if 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 the first ten minutes teaches the audience anything, it's to just throw all logic out of the window. Well, you're right. Um, yeah, yeah. He did think it was going to be the police anyway, didn't Obviously, he? Obviously, there's, there's a level of sort of surrealness about it. But it's stretched out to the point where it's just boring rather than intriguing. Mm. I'll be honest, by the time of the third episode started, I just lost interest. Because nothing they could put in by then is suddenly going to pull everything together coherently. And I didn't mm-hmm. even care anymore after that. Yeah. There's some... Um, as, as we go on, uh, dear listener, there's a set hand shining a couple of torches onto a carpet, and we're supposed to be entranced. Like like this is made for an audience of cats. I think it's creepy. I think it's quite scary. I think it would be more creepy had it been more coherent. Right, yes. You know, if I'm going to be scared, I need to know what I'm being scared of. Well, yes. <laughs> Rather right. than just like... More than just uh, ambience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know, yeah, generally that, that... speaking, uh, the human brain is sort of wired so that above and beyond anything else is just scared of the unknown but not at this fucking level mm-hmm. yeah 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 no that's, that's that's fair play so i think i mean 
as we get to how many pegs we're going to put on the line. Are you going to put a sapphire peg or are you going to put a steel peg? I'm going to put a shite peg. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) But how many? Um, Although I have done nothing but complain about this, I am going to give it four out of nine. It's utter bollocks, but I can't work out if there's a clever level of bollocks hiding in there somewhere on some level. There isn't. But part of me does admire its chutzpah. There you are. All right. I agree. I'm going to give it four as well. Um, It's not the worst thing I've seen, but it's just, it's all over the place. I'm I'm just, I'm baffled. I'm completely baffled and I'm far from thick. And not in a good way. Not baffled like when you watch something like Looper and you, you know, watch it a second time. You're like, ah, that makes more sense now. I could watch this 24 hours a day. It would make no sense. There's nothing in there to pull it together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, No, it's, 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 it's lunacy. It's madness. Um, So, So, yeah, four, but creepy four. It is perfect um, for anyone with insomnia. This is better than listening to whales, I think. Um, ticking of clocks and things would send me to sleep. So there you go. Um, How many steps would it take you to yodel up the mountain? Well, as it happens, I could do it in two. All right, Sapphire and Steel stars David McCallum, of course, who was in The Great Escape with Gordon Jackson, who was in the 1971 Dr. Fruitcake episode of Lollipop with Peggy Marl. I don't like ships. Lovely stuff. Yes, indeed. What about your good self, sir? I also can do it in two. Here we are. Sapphire and Steel stars Joanna Lumley, who cropped up in The House That Dripped Blood with John Pertwee, who was in 1963's Ladies Who Do, alongside Peggy Mount. I don't know whether to put this lot on the mantelpiece or straighten the fire. Mint, 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 mint. Two's a piece. That's what we like to hear. And that brings us to the end of the second episode of the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour Halloween Special. Two scary little programmes, which are scary for all the wrong reasons. Hmm. Never mind. Yes, thanks once again for stopping by. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email PeggyMountPod at gmail.com or we are at PeggyMountPod on Twitter. You can also find us by searching for the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour on Facebook. Don't forget to go over to PeggyMountPod.com to check out the links and show notes for this episode. It's as simple as that. It really is. Make sure you do check the socials because, of course, once again... The next episode is just around the corner. Nice, nice. I like that. So be prepared for a full moon on All Hallows' Eve. Until then, keep Keep pegging! The Peggy Man Calamity Hour is a free podcast from iCall Media which holds production copyright. Opinions and recollections expressed are not to be taken as fact. The title and credit music is by Dr. Velvet. Audio segments from television programs are presented for review and informational purposes only under fair use, and no ownership of these is claimed or implied by this show. For more information, visit PeggyMountPod.com.